It's Sunday, and have we got a story for you. Welcome to Stories Unlimited. Appreciate you tuning in. And your hosts today are Dave Casey, that's me, coming to you from the North Shore of Chicago. And it's one of those beautiful days where there's absolutely no chance of either the Cubs or the Bears losing a game. <laughs> today. Today. <laughs> well, and I'm Don Woodard from Asheville, North Carolina. We're approximately five hours and 40 minutes from Wilmington, North Carolina. Dave, ask me how I know that. How would you know that distance? Uh, I, I know it today because I got a call from a buddy of mine who knows I'm a giant Elvis Costello uh, uh, fan, and he has second row seats for oh. Elvis on the last night of his tour, Friday night, in Wilmington. And I that just, a that's a haul. I just can't just, you know, when I was a younger man, uh, uh, that, that might've been, I rode 17 hours, uh, on a, on a, uh, uh, straight up to go to a high school reunion one, one, one time. I, I'm not, I'm not quite up to going five and a half hours to see Elvis. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I've seen him enough. I, 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 uh, yeah. I look forward to the reviews. Now, I'd be impressed if you rode 17 hours on a boxcar to your reunion. That sounds <laughs> yes. yes. romance, you know, too. You it. and I both just missed that era. I, I yeah. have a feeling we would both have been, uh, well, no, I'm sorry. Let me just start over. I have a feeling you would have been that guy who would have, like, you know, jumped on the train, uh, you know, and <laughs> with your right. fellow hobos, going back to our Halloween episode, uh, whereas I would. I would have, you know, like looked looked in the, uh, uh, you know, whatever the, uh, uh, the you know the train uh, uh, schedule to see like when the next. <laughs> Excuse me, is there a? Yeah, I noticed there's a freight train going to Detroit, but is there anything? Uh, so, something a little more civilized. Something with a dining car, perhaps. So, yeah, something where I could get a cup of coffee at least. I, something where the bed isn't made out of straw. Yeah, no white linen tables on a boxcar, but uh, yeah. I, I I never have roughed it quite that much. Although no. I did drive a, a classic Rambler for the first four years of my driving life, so that's about as close to a boxcar as you can get. I, I was sort of inspired by a conversation we had this week in the Crosby, Stills song, uh, and Nash. Don't want to forget Nash mm -mm. about raising your children well. Mm -hmm. Raising them right, raising them wrong, whatever it is, it's a one of my joys in life besides food is family, and I just I might even put family first at times, and yeah. I just think it's just and we've talked about the joy of kids before, but I think one of the great dynamics is how we have to just jump into raising kids with very little training other than how we were brought up. And then the way we were brought up really didn't apply to the way I wanted to bring my kids up because so much had changed. I mean, it was a whole different dynamic. For instance, I kept my old army men thinking that when my kids, when if I had a son, <laughs> he'd want to be playing with these great army men. I had the, the Alamo set, the Revolutionary War set, the Civil War set, the D-Day invasion. I had all kinds of army man sets. And you know how many minutes my son spent playing with him? Right. Zero. He had absolutely no interest. There were other more electrical things to do. 
Well, I know we're jumping a little ahead uh, uh, to this, but 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 I will say, uh, in the same vein, as a script writer and TV writer, I had I saved all my scripts. Not not only did I save you know the the final episode of anything I wrote or anything that uh, uh, was also written by someone else on that show, I saved every single draft. Wow. So we had, you know, when you go to uh, Lowe's or Home Depot and they have those giant plastic, you know, with the two flaps on top and yes. oh, it all looks so easy. You just get those and, you know, you'll stack them up and they'll look, you know, it'll be a wonderful wall of, of plastic boxes in your garage. <laughs> in your garage. <laughs> until you realize family. what your wife thinks of that, that particular de- decorative theme. <laughs> and so I would, I had boxes and boxes of scripts of just every show I'd ever done and been canceled on and, you know, notes and, and, and all this. And, and my wife said one day, like, are you ever going to look at these again? And I said, well, no, but, but Jackson, he'll want these someday. He'll, you know, it's for posterity. And And then of course my mother passed Yeah, and we went to like clean out all that stuff. And I realized the greatest gift you can give your child is to get rid of your stuff. Exactly. So, so I did. I finally, I threw out all those scripts, but with a caveat, I did, I did digitize everything, <laughs> everything because Dave, you never know when the Smithsonian is going to call no, and want no. to, and, and want to see like, you know, that, <laughs> that, that fifth episode of, of just shoot me and, oh, and any day now. And, and yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, uh, it's why I don't turn my phone off at night. Well, uh, yeah. True so, confessions. So, so yes, there are, but, but, but in the, in the same vein, it, it, it is like, yes, the, the stuff you're, when your child is born, you mistakenly think that everything you ever did or ever wanted or ever expected is what they want and what they expect. And it just ain't so. And the quicker you learn that, the, 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 the better, the better childhood they have. Yeah. True confessions. I do have almost every cassette tape of every commercial track <laughs> ever recorded. Right. Thinking right. the same. Well, you've got thing. To, well, you have thinking to digitize the them thing. at the very least. Those things are, you know, they're going away. You, you got, they're going to wear out. Oh, it, it is time to, to eighty six those mothers. I, you know, thinking that my son might want to sit down and enjoy, you know, how I did a punk rock version of the Bud Light theme, and then <laughs> I did a reggae version. The yeah. fascination. I just couldn't yeah. imagine not being just starstruck for hours. No, listening no, to that. but. Somehow, my son would rather listen to the Grateful Dead and Fish, and and instead of my TV ads, very strange. Right. right. So, if we're going to start this conversation off about raising kids and 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 uh, uh, our own experiences, I think it, it's necessary to go back and talk about our own parents and and and, and their their upbringing. Yeah. And and maybe what they experienced because that's. That's all they had. I mean, they, you know, so what your own parents experience, what was, what do you, what do you, what do you glean from, from whatever you've gotten from them? My mom grew up with uh, four brothers and sisters and her father 
was like a saint who walked the earth. He worked in a uh, pharmacy across the street. He was like the pharmacist in uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, everybody in the town interacted with him. Uh, <laughs> you know, he was the guy they went to when they needed something. He was 20, he, since he worked across the street from where he lived, he was a 24-7 service. And wow. People took advantage good, good of it. Good luck buying a condom from the guy, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and he was willing to do it. But yeah. When he would get home, like my mom would just always just reveled in the story how he would get home and like my mom's little sister would say, I want a lemon meringue pie. And he would go, well, I don't know what's open now. And but maybe I'll drive to Wilmington and see what what's there. I know a bakery in Wilmington. And uh, so he would drive over the over. There wasn't even a bridge, as a matter of fact, it was a ferry to get to Wilmington at the time. And he would go to Wilmington, which was the only big city nearby. This is Wilmington, Delaware, and pick up a lemon meringue pie from this one bakery and bring it home. And just before he even sat down to eat dinner. So her, so so her experience was this would be came first, whatever the kids wanted, they got now, on the other hand, they had five kids and one bathroom in the entire house. So, and three of the children were girls. So getting ready for school and getting ready to go to church or whatever they were going to do was sure. always a marathon of just, you know, battles and, and, you know, everybody kicking each other out of the room. And it was just nuts. It was, but that was the kind of energy that they thrived on was just that. So, so how did that inform her as a parent? Well, what it did was it made her want my brother and I to be very close. She, because the, they had so many battles that, that kept on and on and on that they really grew up sort of with the edge to each other. They really weren't the best of friends. There was some friction at all times between them. They were also at a, at a place where with the first few kids that came really couldn't go to college. They had to go to a local trade school. And so they harbored animosity towards, like my, my uh, mom's sister got to go to Northwestern University from New Jersey. So it was it was a huge dichotomy that my mom still never forgave her whole life. Yeah. So yeah. what she wanted to do was make sure that my brother and I were treated as equals. Not that there was any maliciousness to my grandparents. It just they were in a different place economically at a different of course. Time. And but my mom wanted us to be egalitarian and be uh, and, and be very, uh, you know, close. And it really worked because my brother and I are just as thick as thieves. We've Barely, you know, we've always had, you know, where we would chase each other with knives around the room, but deep in our heart, you know, we cared about each other and we've never had a big, uh, uh, you know, we've never had a blowout. Let's put it that way. Right. So, so then now your father, now my his father, upbringing, how did that inform his parenting skills? Actually, it's interesting. My dad did not like his sister at all. My sister was, his sister was kind of different. And uh, my dad was very traditional, and she was uh, a rebel. Like now, a bohemian back yeah, then, is that right? Yes, is that, yes. Is now, that my right? dad, and, and my dad was an engineer, so he had no, ah. you know, he, he did things by the book. Now, he yeah. was well, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are engineers and not engineers. Yes. 
she, she, he, my dad was fairly liberal, but he wasn't, you know, he didn't live off the grid or anything. Not that my right. mom lived off the grid, but she did things that no other, like, I think she was like the first employ, uh, uh, teacher that Harvard ever hired. Uh, I could be wrong, but it was something close to that. And she just blazed a different trail and uh, at all times. So, you know, he was kind of, uh, I think he was open to just about anything. Both my parents were very good at saying, just follow your bliss, but, you know, try not to get in any trouble. And, uh, you know, that was sort of their, and, and I brought that to my kids. I, you know, I was very interested in what, what motivated my kids, what excited my kids, and making sure that they got, that they, they were fed that path and, and, yeah. and, and nurtured in a way that their passions would uh, come full bloom. Because that's how my parents raised us. They didn't have any set, um, you know, they didn't tell us where we were going to go to school in terms of college. It was, hey, explore, do your own thing. When I only applied to one college, they didn't say, hey, that's crazy. You can't do that. You have to have a safety school and this, that. They were like, hey, it's up to you. That's that's your choice. And right. They let us be ourselves. And uh, my brother, whoa, he takes that to the nth degree. His kids, they're like, okay, yeah, sure. Get on a bike and, you know, ride halfway across the country uh, with no plans of where you're going to spend the night. To my right. brother, that's nothing. To me and my wife, we're like, uh, that doesn't sound real safe. So I sort of take after my dad on that one. I'm like, sure. uh, if you're going to go wild, at least have a plan. Well, you know, the, the, the key word in all that is passion. I, you know, and, and it, it certainly applies to my own philosophy, but, but I got that from my mother, which I really kind of indirectly, it was never really spoken. But, you know, my mother was a teacher. So I'll go back. My, my father, my father was, uh, you, know, you go back to like, you know, what, what informed your parents? My father was 17 in World War II. He, he goes oh. to the South Pacific and he's yeah. uh, a bomb disposal guy. And it's because when you're 17, that, 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 that's what they gave. That's what they gave the 17 year olds because you're not thinking about, you know, I mean, it so, so it, it obviously had a large effect on him. And it sure. did for the rest of his life. And his his mother was very much very hands on and very like. And I always equate her to uh, to Tom Jode's uh, mother in oh. in uh, in, in uh, uh, Grapes of Wrath. Just very worrying and you know, just like oh my god, don't you know? So he was, uh, you know, without going into too much detail. He was not the greatest role model of all. Uh, uh, the, in fact, I've kidded the the two best pieces of advice he ever gave me was uh, hang out with the smart people, yeah, and uh, which is why I'm a friend of yours. And uh, uh, and and the other one was uh, make sure that all your hangers face uh, uh, away uh, uh, in, in the same direction on the in the closet because in yeah. case there's a fire, you can grab them all and. Just, <laughs> rip them out and you know i mean and there's if there's a fire isn't the first thing i'm grabbing so anyway so so that's who he was he was a jack of all trades and and a master of none my mother on the other hand was 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 an incredibly patient smart she was she was raised in an orphanage 
I mean, her story is a Shirley Temple story. Wow. She, she, uh, uh, her mother, she had two older brothers who were, you know, when she was like, you know, two, she had a four and a six year old uh, brother and, uh, the depression came and their, their mother could not take care of them. And so they put them in this Masonic home in Arkansas and while she went and worked in Memphis Wow! and, and they were kind of raised in this home. And then one day this new, uh, uh guy, uh, uh, took over the orphanage, this young kind of scout master kind of, you know, like a, uh, you know, plugged into the, to the community of the youth. And he became this new uh, uh, head of the orphanage. And my mother and, and uh, her brothers loved this guy. Yeah, and absolutely. so when my grandmother came to visit from Memphis one time, their plan was we're going to like set them up. And somehow we're going to like, you know, put them together. And sure enough, it, they did. And it worked. Oh. And she went, she went from living in the big three-story bunk, bed kind of again a Shirley Temple movie that yeah the rows of, of of beds of little girls in you know in 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 the in the dorm to living in the you know the the manse the mansion of of the head the head of the orphanage you wow. know I mean she so so like overnight and he was this great guy but but she was always very aware that you know she was adopted that's who yeah. she was so she was very much like put so much value in family so yeah. for her and for me she was I could do no wrong which is a great thing to have as a parent you know as, as, as a child from parent but almost to a fault like like I, you know i mean some things you did mom it's really not necessary to follow all over yourself you know it, it's just a it's just a macaroni you know a uh, 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 plate with some faces on it it's not yeah. it, something i did in third grade it's not the most amazing thing you've ever seen but she was incredibly supportive and all she cared about no matter what i did was are you following your passion? Yeah. And, and, great. and that's, it got me to where I was. It, it allowed me to like, look around and go, wow, all my friends are like doing law school or med school and, you know, they're econ guys and they're accountants and, but I just, it's not what I'm really into. And I, you know, I, I don't see myself making a living doing this, but I want to do comedy and writing. And, you know, my mother would just go, there are people out there doing that. Just go try to do it. And, and so she was absolutely like my, you know, the, the sort of the blank check and, and the, you know, the, the rolling out the carpet to whatever it is I wanted to do. So, yeah, you know, it matters. It matters. Yeah. You know, I think that that is sort of the path of least resistance. And I think that's, that's how my parents were. It was, let's not fight him. Let's not tell him he can't do what he wants to do. Let's just, you know, let him see where he ends up. And I think because of that, uh, I really never gave much thought to parenting I, because I didn't, right. come, you know, I didn't hit right. any walls growing up where I right. thought, my God, I'll never be like them. Or, well, that's really interesting you say that because the path of least, least resistance, I didn't think about this, but there was a ton of drama in, 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 between my parents. 
and, and nothing physical, but definitely emotional. My father went through a lot of different, you know, ups and downs and hospitalized and all that. And so I learned very early to just, you know, stay out of the way, just be invisible. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so my mother was like, if, if, if my sons seem to be okay, then I can focus on my husband. And so her sons learned, let's just be okay. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, 30 years of, of therapy uh, uh, got me through, you know, all that. But in the meantime, sur- you know, surviving that was really about just like, you know, you, you guys go do your thing, you do your arguments, do your, you know, take care of my father. And I will, you know, I'll just move forward uh, uh, without any kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, I was a latchkey kid and, and, uh, you know, it just didn't, it, it's the best thing she could ever do is like, let me go and, and, and be the free spirit that I, that I was considering I wasn't really a free spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Not that my parents were perfect. Then, you know, they had their tensions and, uh, but my God, both loved to cook. Um, both, you know, we had, we weren't rich, but we had enough money where I could pretty much do what I please. Now I will say that my dad was tighter than Jack Benny, but (laughs) you know, so, you know, I, we we didn't have air conditioning and we didn't have a power lawnmower for half my life. And we didn't have a color TV till I absolutely shamed them into getting one, but I, I didn't have any, you know, I didn't wake up cold and hungry once. And uh, just, it, to me, I felt like it was a leave it to beaver existence and that whatever happens, things would turn out okay. And that was sort of my informing light. And one reason why I never gave a whole lot of thought, even, you know, when I uh, was getting serious about asking my wife uh to marry me and not that I ever got that serious because I popped the question without even thinking about it. I didn't even plan to do it that, you know, I, an hour ahead of time, I had no idea I was going to do it, but that's, <laughs> that's how I am. I'm kind of sure. spontaneous. Yes. And so yes. I never gave a single thought to being a parent until my wife told me she was pregnant. Yeah. And that's when I started going, okay, I better start calibrating a, a, a plan here. And, um, for my first, you know, we didn't know what we were going to have, boy or girl. Well, when Connor's born, my wife was having trouble, like, she was having trouble, uh, you know, getting the baby out, and they had to go in and give her a hand, and the doctor actually had to use sort of a suction cup to get my son out. (laughs) Really? As he's doing that, and, and I don't even know whether it's a boy or a girl, right? He pulls the baby out. And the suction device he used on my son's, on my child's head made his, I mean, his head was like a, it was like, it was like the size of a capsule, the shape of a capsule. Instead of being oval, it was long and, and, and protruded. And I was, I didn't even care what the sex was. I was like, what did I, what did we just give birth to here? And I was like more concerned with the form of its head than I was the sex. And can I, can I, uh, can I interrupt for a second? I, I've never met Connor. Is his head now shaped like a capsule? 
No, it is perfectly shaped. Just okay, so I can laugh. That's what I want to know. Can I laugh right I now? Thought it was, I thought he was going to have a head the shape of an eggplant. I mean, <laughs> I thought it was going to be this long thing. And even ribs, even ribs, just like the suction cup thing was. And I was very freaked out. But he assured me it would, and within two, three days, it was already a normal head. It just, it's amazing how malleable the, the human head can be at birth. Apparently. And uh, <laughs> so then when I knew I had a boy, I was like, I, I, I took a, like, a deep breath of like, oh, good. I know how to raise a boy. I was raised a boy. <laughs> I had a brother. Uh, so I was pretty confident in being a parent. And in fact, about two days, and of course, my, my in-laws had come for the birth of our first child. But it took my wife, a, you know, she was o almost a month late. I mean, like three weeks overdue, and they had to go wow. get that kid. And, it's very inconsiderate uh, of her, by the way. Yeah. And by the time the Connor came, my in-laws had to leave. They're like, <laughs> home. They're like okay, we're out of here. So yeah, maybe he knew what he was doing. They weren't the big help that we had hoped they would be. But sure. then on day two of being home, my wife gets this fever, and her fever's over 101. And it's really serious, and she's laid out. We've got a newborn baby, and my wife is laid out with this fever. Right. Well, they tell her to come in. They did some stuff. It turns out the doctor had left a sponge in. Oh, her. come on! That's the biggest it, cliche of all time. That's in every that's in every uh, episode of Quincy ever written. Uh, I became infected uh, and uh, threatened her life. So oh my God, I am there horrible. with no in laws. No wife. Sorry. Left-handed and colorblind. <laughs> and a newborn baby in my arm. Yeah. Um, I have no playbook. I've got nobody to, to bounce ideas off of. It's me yeah. and this baby. I'm, Instead I'm the man who like, thought previously, oh, I have a son. There's no problem. Yeah. I, I call my, you know, my mom, how do I make formula? How do I do this? How do I do that? Wow. She hasn't had a baby for 50, you know, four, 30 some years. So she's not a whole lot of help. And I'm just, I never knew I could do so much with one hand as I did yeah. for yeah, those no kidding. four days with Connor until my yeah. wife got back home. Fortunately, my wife was in perfect health. Uh, eventually it didn't Amen. have any lasting problems. But Amen. my God, what a way to start. So by the time that first week was over, I'd been through the, you know, I was tempered in steel. I was ready for anything. And raising the kid was no problem. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I would sit there with Connor and he would sit on the floor and I would beat coffee, you know, like uh, coffee, uh, what, what are they, like Folgers coffee comes with a plastic top and I'd beat it like a tom-tom drum and just do Indian chants and entertain him any way I could. And he was great. And he was just like a little Buddha. We would, uh, you know, he would, but the one thing about him was he pushed away whenever you tried to get close. Flip to my daughter. I find out ahead of time we're going to have a daughter. We didn't wait the second time. So we know we're going to have a daughter. I'm freaking out. I didn't have a sister. I I wasn't raised around girls, and I had no idea what to do with a girl. Well, if I were you, also, I would have been worried about karma. Well, all no. What I was really worried about was she was going to look like me. I was like, <laughs> if I had a daughter, yeah. I, by the way, I've seen your daughter. 
it turned out fine. Yes. Fortunately, she took after my wife. But I did spend nine months fretting about what if my daughter looks like me? That sure. is going to be a good thing. Sure. I'd be so, worried about that. How about you with uh, Jackson? Well, you know, it's a slightly different story, and we can do a whole episode on this. Uh, Jackson's adopted. Oh. And 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 so uh, uh, you know, there's a whole drama to this whole story. I mean, it is, huh, you know, it was incredible. Uh, 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 he was born in Tennessee. The the uh, her uh, his birth mom and dad. His birth mom was was an awesome woman, and and uh, who who knew her situation and knew that this was the right choice. And, and, uh, uh, and we were in the room when Jackson was born, uh, oh, great. and, 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 but we're in the room with, uh, her family, many of whom are still convinced that they're going to talk her out of doing this whole thing. And this oh, whole yeah. thing, by the way, is, I put it in quotes because again, it's a whole other episode. It, it, it was an amazing ride, but yeah. uh, she knew, she knew from the start, this is what I want to do. And she met us and this is who I want him to go with and all that. But we're in the room, he's born and there's, I don't know, a dozen of us and it's just me and Karen and we're kind of at the door and literally they, <laughs> this is, it just seems so surreal now. It almost seems like, something out of some ceremonial, you know, prehistoric birthing event, uh, they hand, they hand him to all the different family members at the bedside and he's passed around yeah. the room until I'm watching and going, will he ever get to us? Will somebody just Whoa. sort of take him like a football and just yeah. head for the door? And he does finally get to us. And, and the amazing thing was they were entirely prepared for this. This is, this is we're, we're in uh, uh, a, a suburb of, of Nashville. And, uh, uh, and, and, and while we're there, uh, you know, we're 40, 41, we're 40 or 41. And all the nurses and all the, Anybody who's there and like they're up in the maturity and everybody's kind of like, oh, hey, congratulations on this. Yeah. And of course, many times people went, oh, are you the grandparents? Oh, and, wow. and so, you know, but, but uh, lo and behold, uh, uh, he, he, he's handed to us and, and they, they bring us over and we get to bathe them. And, and then they say, uh, you know, we're not sure like what the next step is. We have this room. We have this room at the Grand Old Opry Hotel. It's all very surreal. And, uh, you know, we're thinking what we have like a, a you know, I, I don't know. We, we're all, we don't know where we're going that night. We assume he's going to stay in the hospital and we'll go spend the night at the Grand Old Opry. And, uh, yeah. and no, they, they, they go, uh, we have a room for you. And, and really? And, and, and so they, they wrap him up or I learned to wrap him up. Yeah, and they go here. You go, and they put us in this hospital room, and uh, and that night I'm on the hospital bed, and they place him on my chest because they're saying how important it is to like have the heartbeat, you know, and you can feel, you know, and and I just I, all I remember is just thinking, you know, you are so mine, you are 
you are my, you are my child, and I, you know, I am your father. So it never. And again, this we have to do something on on the subject. But up until that point, while I was all for it, and I knew it was really, it was the road to go down. You have questions like, "Am I going to feel this way? Does it matter? My DNA? I oh, you know, am I?" And, and, you know, frankly, Dave, there's a lot to be said for not passing on your own genes. <laughs> and, and so, you know, to me, it is, it's never, it never comes up. Like, you know, this, uh, I always say, I, this is the last time I think Sony mentioned something or asked about him. It was like maybe nine, nine or ten months ago. It never occurs to me. I don't think it occurs to him. It comes up. We talk about it. But, but it is not, it, it's the greatest, it's the second, you know, it's the greatest thing in the world. It, 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 it is, uh, I just can't imagine doing it any other way for us. And, and I, all the doubts I had and, and, you know, the, now cut to that happens. Now it's all about, well, you know, genes or not nature or nurture what kind of parent are you going to be? Yeah. And so, you know, you know, my kid doesn't care, you know, about that stuff. I mean, there are questions about like, you know, who, you know, who are my biological parents and, you know, what's my, you know, genetic tree and all that, which he doesn't really seem to care about. He's 24 now, but, but that's fine if he wants to know that, but really, truly as, as a parent, you know, as a, as a, as a six month old, as a one year old, as a three year old, He's not going, uh, excuse me, uh, I'm adopted, so I have some other issues here. It's you, man. You're the parent. So, <laughs> you know, I, it, the, the ball is in your court. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, you know, I'm still, it, it, it's still a little, uh, it, that never ends, of course, by the way. That never ends. No. At, at every stage, there's... You know, just a new, I used to always think I want to just freeze dry, you know, them at this age. Yeah. I know yeah. how to handle this age. I love right. this age. Everything's going great. Uh, I, I don't need any more. All I need is to freeze dry them right here and I'll be happy the rest of my days. But right. that, that doesn't happen. They keep going and they keep growing and new challenges. And then every time you're like, wow, this is even better until they get to be about 13. Uh, but up until then, <laughs> you're always just like amazed that the next stage is even better than the last stage. And, exactly. And, and you grow closer and closer and there's just that beautiful bond. There's that great time of life when one or both of your kids think that you walk on water, that you're absolute, that you and mom are absolutely perfect and you can uh, do no wrong. And, oh, I long for those days. And those, oh, those are long gone. <laughs> but it's kind gone. of coming back, by the way. To, you know, I mean, again, your uh, uh, your kids are how old? Oh, uh, thirty-two and twenty-nine. Right. So Jackson's twenty-four. So it's just it's just becoming uh, that age where you know what? Maybe you're a little smarter than I thought. Right. 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 <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Of course, my daughter is like, you guys, how, you know, she thinks we're like cave age because we don't know how to do anything on our phone or our computer. Now I'm worse than right. 
right. I was my wife. But now right. my daughter is like, like my parent. She's like, you know, I call her up. I, I have two things on my screen. I don't know how to get, is it okay to get rid of one without, <laughs> and, you know, she laughs and she's like, how can you not know this? So we, we've sort of switched roles, but yeah. uh, it's, it's. So, so, so are you like, uh, are you, so I, I, here's a story I remember uh, when, when Jackson was like, you know, six months old and I had the zeal of the newly converted, uh, the newly parented. And in our neighborhood was, uh, this, this federal judge, uh, who was this really amazing, brilliant guy. And we're driving downtown to go to a hockey game. And, uh, he's very receptive to the idea that I've just had a new kid and you know there's several of us in the car and he's indulging me with the stories of his birth and all that and and and, and mostly he's indulging me by you know by 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 me talking about like any new parent uh, you know I, it's not quite like the specifics of you know he'll be president someday but it is i just want him to you know i think what i said was i just want him to follow his passion yes and he looked, he looked at me, I'll never forget. And he said, yeah, yeah, Don, that, that's, that's, that's good. That's important until they're 32 years old and still trying to sell that first screenplay. Oh. <laughs> he's like, he's, I don't know where they are now. I, you know, God bless them. You know, maybe she's still writing. She'd be, she'd be in her sixties now. Uh, but but I just I, that was a moment where I kind of went oh oh maybe this is not about the path that I have planned for him and you know what come to find out and I'm sure you agree it's not it's not about the path you think they're going to take no if if you're a good parent. No, I never tried to. I never tried to corral my kids to go to the same college I did because that's not what my parents. Well, that was your that was your biggest mistake. By that the way, was. But go on. That was that was. But that you know, my parents didn't put any kind of that kind of pressure. That you know, I was doing well enough in school that you know they didn't have to. Aside from disciplinary reasons, they never had to go into school and have a parent teacher conference and go, Oh my God, your kid is right. headed for juvie court. Uh, right. And so I, I was the same way with my kids. As long as they're, as, as long as they love learning and I, and I did, I read to them both every night. I, I took the, I took it upon myself to read to them every night because, you know, I would get home late and uh, not spend as much time with them as uh, right. Sam did. Same. I, I had the same thing for the same reasons. And so, so I, I just made it a point to spend that time. I'd have thumb wars with my daughter. In fact, I'm going to end up with arthritis in both thumbs. <laughs> she was highly competitive and highly skilled at thumb wars. And, you know, we just had, it, we didn't go, she didn't go to, to bed until she got her thumb war victory. If I won the first two thumb wars, we were staying up for a third thumb war. And, I'm surprised you let her win. Well, I did at some point, but I didn't have to. She's, you know, she, she was tough. She was a competitor. And, uh, but, you know, reading to them, and I think that's great because they both are passionate readers today. They both, they outread me by far. Um, my 
daughter probably has two to three books gone at a time. My son, same way. And uh, so, you know, that was one of my, you know, one of my little victories, but it, it happened organically. I didn't make them do it, but I set a pattern that would hopefully put them down that road. Um, my, my other sort of small victory was they never got it too deep into video games. They, they both played sports and they were happy playing sports, but they were also happy drawing or, uh, you know, doing projects that were more, a little more creative than them sitting in front of a screen and right. out, out foxing a guy with a machine gun blowing 10 people away. I won't yeah. say my son didn't enjoy that from time to time, but, you know, he wasn't consumed by it. He didn't spend his afternoons in front of a TV. And so it was those things that, again, just with a little light touch, I was pretty happy with the way things were going. And I, but I wasn't going to get all up in their business about, you know, you've got to, only once that I have to tell my son, hey, if you don't get it together, because he was so involved in sports, he was letting school go. If you don't get it together, you're never going to, you know, you know, your path is going to be kind of limited. Right. And what happened was he got an A in something and he was like, wow, I kind of like the feeling of getting an A. And, and it, it, it triggered something in him. And well, the other thing that happened was he got injured, so he couldn't play hockey anymore. And so he had a little more free time to study. And, uh -huh. and then boom, he just blossomed as a student and, uh, you know, he never looked back. Now, my daughter had a little more success just, you know, from the jump. But uh, with that, and uh, but you know, it was good. I think as a parent, it takes the pressure off you if you're not all. If they have to go to Stanford, or their life's a complete mess. You right. Know, you know. That's exactly no, no, no. That's that's exactly right. I think like early on, if you, if you know, if you know that the path you thought somehow that they were going to be taking, which is ridiculous. To begin with, but but is is not the path they're going to take that, you know, whatever school they're going to go to, e even yeah. like just like, you know, elementary school or middle school or, you know, just it may not be the right fit. I mean, it just might not be right for them. And I, I you know, it's it took us a while. And I will say the greatest game we ever made was kind of realizing, oh, he's this kid. He's he's. You know, the things he's passionate about, he will succeed at to no end. And the things that he doesn't like, that frustrates the teachers that teach the things he doesn't like, too effing bad yeah. for them. You know, so, so I, you know, it, it, it is, uh, uh, that's been a great joy. So now at 24, he is starting to do the things that really mean something to him. And he's taking classes now that, that, um, I've never seen him more engaged because I, you know, and it's the same I, in, in a way, like I, I, it has to be for that, that way for you and me, except I think we didn't have, nobody gave us those options. Then I, you know, we were in college, it was, you know, you had electives, but you also had general requirements and you thought you were in the major you were supposed to be in and, and, and you were doing the things that you thought you were supposed to be doing, but, like, you know, for you, I, wasn't it like map making? Wasn't it like, I mean, yeah. you know, you, you, your career is in, you know, this incredibly successful career in advertising. I, 
I'm sorry. I, I, you know, were were you sitting in in map making class, going someday I'm gonna write ads for Bud Light? Yeah. To tell you the truth, I was a geography major for two reasons. One is <laughs> one is I, I like love, maps. I love general knowledge, and that's right. what geography. The geography major was just a whole ton of different disciplines. It wasn't sure. like one discipline it wasn't all right. accounting it wasn't all pre-med or anything and right. and it was i i had a passion for those things also i planned to enjoy myself in school and not throw myself into st- studying too much because i already right. i'm already wired to study and, and and get good grades that's just too you know i that's just a thing i like to do i like to get in the classroom as it's even from a little kid i had this thing where it was me against the teacher i was going to if that te- screw that teacher i'm going to get an a whether they want to give it to me or not and right. and then the other joy was being you know the the class disruptor while i was getting the good grades now one, once i got to college i respected my student the, the fact that everybody was paying good money to be here i right. realized i was no longer i no longer needed to be the focus of the class right. i sat back and let the teacher handle it a little more but i was going to have a good time in college outside of class and i didn't want to spend the whole time in the undergrad library and geography allowed me to you know not work too hard but also do that and then I fell into making maps because it was my favorite thing that we did as a geography major. And I actually got a job doing that out of college. Now, three years into that, I realized there was no money. And I said, yeah. wait a second, uh, I better look at something that's also it wasn't creative enough. I said, I need to look into something that feeds my creativity and also pays more. And ding, ding, ding. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it because to me, as you're saying, and I'm thinking, there's a left and right brain thing about what you were doing. You know, there's there's a very left brain exact latitude, longitude, you know, whatever. But you're like me too. That as far as maps go, I just I loved maps. I loved, you know, you give me the the World Book Encyclopedia as a kid, and, oh, and yeah. uh, you know, I you know I could tell you where Iran was uh, back in the day, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, so, so how did that, it it, it allowed me to think that, you know what, if my kids will find their way, my kids will, I don't have to hover over them. They'll, they'll be like me. They'll, they'll study and then they'll eventually figure out what it is that they want to do. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so in most cases, if you're lucky, parenting is a two person thing. And it and 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 also, if you're lucky, uh, like any good relationship uh, in general, it's a yin and a yang. And and, it, and so so what what is what what were what were your dual philosophies as as you were parents? Who was who was whom, and what were your roles raising raising your kids? Well, I would say that neither of us were the disciplinarian uh we kind of did it together we didn't you know one wasn't given role we didn't have hard and fast roles like i said i was the one that sort of fed their uh you know you know i i spent time with them more doing more creative things 
and my wife spent time doing more practical things. So she sort of gave them some emotional IQ that I lack. And uh, that was the most important thing she did, which was, I, I think, spend more time getting deep into what motivated my kids right. than I did. And, and she really spent time, you know, just, you know, I don't know. It's hard to say because I wasn't good at it. She really got into the emotional aspects of them. You know, what, what are your dreams? What are your, you know, what are your fears? What is this? I was just sort of making sure that they were having fun. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Well, I, you know, well, that's probably like, you know, just about every. She male, took them female, to the doctors, you know, male, female, mother, care. father dynamic. Uh, 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 there is in this day and age. I mean, I, you know, because to me, I, you know, I've said this here before. I, I am, I am the, you know, I, I, if they ever uh, do a statue of David version of the helicopter parent, uh, wherever they decide to to put that statue, it's going to be me. I hopefully with a with more than more than a fig leaf. Uh, although David, I don't think David had a fig leaf, but I I am that I am that I was that parent. I guess I still am because it's never over. Uh, you know the, the 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 difficult thing for me was uh, uh, for us was. You know, Karen uh, was the was the bad cop because I was always the good cop. I, you know, not not in in a way that you know. I mean, I I certainly could put my foot down at times, but just comparatively speaking, I, you know, it was I had the easier role, and and that's not that's not a good thing. It's not it's it's you know, I mean, somebody has to do that, but I just sort of. And part of that was because I was working and, you know, I'd come in and be the hero and, you know, you don't be the guy like, I'll read to him. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like, you know, I mean, that, that kind of thing, uh, you, you take care of, you, know, you talk to him about how he didn't do this and all, you know, so I, I admittedly, it, it was a different uh, situation. I, I think I would, yeah. if I were going to pass along parental advice to my son, it would be to, to take on more egalitarian roles, which it sounds like you guys kind of did. Well, well, I tell you, here's, this is, as I, I've thought a little deeper about your question since, since you asked it. And here's, here's one thing. I was their coach in, you know, like AYSO soccer. I was the cub master at, you know, when Connor was a cub scout. Yeah, uh, sure. Well, Love that. A lot of fun. I was assistant cub master, but the cub master happened to be a college football referee. So he was <laughs> never there on Friday nights when the cub scouts met. So I became the cub master and uh, to, to mixed results, but you know, and then, but, but Tam took care. So I was taking care of the social kind of things like that, but Tam was doing the important work where like, Connor had some, you know, he had like a 12th grade reading level, but a, you know, a third grade math level when he was in the third grade. So right. when you have right. that kind of dichotomy, <clears throat> there's something going on and they want to get down to, you know, why is there that? He also had a um, executive ordering. Both of my kids had a little problem with executive ordering. And that was probably inherited by me where when they had a task to do, like when, when uh, the teacher would put a spelling list together, they wouldn't put it in the order that it was on the board. They'd put it in right. the order that they felt like putting it in. 
And, sure. And so uh, my wife was the one that took care of like making sure they got the 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 uh, out of school tutoring they needed to get on track with their executive ordering. Um, to you know, to do all the things they needed to do so that they would succeed uh, emotionally and mentally and all that sort of stuff. And uh, and you know, so I give her a ton of credit. Uh, in fact, she she investigated all the schools to see which schools would be able to handle their uh, you know their their learning issues out you know without other kids knowing they even had an issue. Of course, now I'm talking about it on the air, so everybody knows about it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, what the hell. <laughs> but so by the time they were out of high school, they were totally, you know, they were better than the average bear. I mean, they didn't have any, you know, gaps in their learning. They didn't have any executive ordering problems. They had it all right. set up and ready to go. And so I, 100% of that goes to my wife. I was like, hey, you know, when the soccer ball comes to the middle of the field, you go here. You know, that's <laughs> that was the deepest I got. Uh, you know, be ready for the rebound. That was sound advice that I think they can use the rest of their life. And right. I, you know, I, I think it's also, you know, unless you're exactly the same people, your life experience getting up to the point, especially when they're when they're older, when they're young adult, you know, young, they're older teenagers, young adults. You know, my wife's experience and her career was much different than mine. So, like, you know, I'm looking at my son now who's really getting it figured out at 24. Well, that's kind of when I started. As opposed to my wife, who was, you know, by this point, she was in the management training program at, Ch- you know, in, 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 in Manhattan and banking and international banking and, or, you know, and wealth management and all that. And I'm like struggling to like, you know, like I'm in L.A. and I'm not sure what I want to do. And I, you know, there's this group called the Groundlings. I'm going to take some classes. And, I, you know, it just it had it wasn't until I was 29, really, that that I figured out, oh, oh, I can do a make a career out of this. So I would while I would never <laughs> go to my son and go, you know, you really don't have to know anything until you're 29. <laughs> it, 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 it is they are two different skills and, and, and two different well, skills. There are two different philosophies of our own personal experience, not and having nothing to do with raising your own child. It's just, that's what happened to me and that's what happened to her. So, so I think one good thing about being parents for us is I think we both appreciate like, you know, uh, for it's not up to her to panic necessarily at, you know, when he's 21 and not sure what he wants to do, but it's also up to me to go to, to not necessarily go, eh, it's fine. He'll be fine until he's 29. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a balance of those two things until, you know, he figures out what he's going to do. And, and it never ends. It, it never, you know, there's a great, I can't remember the speech. It's uh, uh, Jason Robards in parenthood. Uh, who, who's basically saying, you know, it's just like, it's, there, there is no end zone. It's, it, it yeah. if it is, it, they keep moving it. And, and, and it's, it just, it doesn't matter how old they get or how old you get. It, 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 you're always the parent. You're always concerned. You're always judging yourself and them. And, and, you know, the best you can do is just kind of like, 
let it go when you can and, and, and embrace it as much as you can. Yeah. And, and, and I don't mean by saying when I was like, I let them figure out what they want to do. That it doesn't mean I'm laissez faire and didn't get it. Yeah, of course. Their life. I stayed very involved at, at, at all times. I was a very, I would, I didn't subscribe to the philosophy of I'm going to stay at work until, you know, all hours because I've got to get that next promotion. I, right. Once I had a family, I put the family first. And, yeah. uh, you know, I didn't, I, I, I'd stay late when I had to, but I didn't put work as like the almighty God. I was, uh, you know, much more interested in spending time with my kids and my wife. Um, and then the one, here's sort of a core thing I felt was not just the reading, but the writing. I felt that if the, my kids could read and if they could write well, that would open up any avenue they wanted to do. Now, you know, I didn't have any math skills or chemistry skills. If they wanted to do that, they were on their own and good luck <laughs> right. to you. But they didn't show any propensity for either of those. So, but right. I figured that if, you know, they, they could read and they could write well, that the world would be their oyster. And so I, I definitely, the only time I was ever a helicopter parent is when my kids had a paper to do. And I remember I would look at the paper, even when they were in like third grade, and I would get rid of all the, you know, I'd tell them that, that you know, I'd get rid of all the misspelled words. Uh, if they started four sentences in a row with the word the, I'd be like, hey, you got to mix it up a little. You can't, you know, you can't have that same construction. Or you're going to bore yeah. your reader. And I would hit him with all this stuff that was, now Connor was ahead of his, of his grade in reading. But he was, you know, I, so I just felt like I wanted to make sure that they were just as ahead of the curve in, in their ability to write. And it drove my kids crazy because they were they would like, no, don't let dad see it. I'll be up another hour <laughs> reading it. And and then or he'll rewrite the whole thing. And my daughter one time handed in a paper and the teacher was like, you didn't write this. <laughs> And she was like, I know, but my dad, he, can't, he, he doesn't know when to stop helping me. Help me, help me. <laughs> he says he doesn't know when to stop because I was, she was using words like nevertheless and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, pro and like, oh, that exacerbates the problem. What? You're third grade. <laughs> what is <this> doing? <laughs> yeah. I was like, you got to use a word that has some, you know, that, you know, you so anyway, I had to like back off a little, but I am proud to say that I did teach him the idea of when you're writing a paper and you keep using adjectives, which you should use, try to keep it in the same, like try to use like weather words or, a, you know, create a sort of a storm theme as a subtext to your writing. And somehow yeah. I got that through to, cause that was the greatest breakthrough that I ever had was when I when I started writing things that had a little subtext and, and had a, a coordinated effort in how I weaved my story together, people right. started like responding and going, wow, that's, that's some good shit right there. And, yeah. uh, you know, my grades in college started just boomer, you know, boomerang and booming and, you know, teacher, I've started getting all kinds of great feedback. And so that's what I taught my kids in terms of, you know, just try to write so that your words come to life. They don't just sort of sit there and don't don't waste the reader's time reading the same thing over and over and over again. State what you want to state and get there. Make your point and get out. 
yeah. keep it entertaining in the meantime. So yeah. that was a passion of mine that I brought, that I sort of laid on my kids, whether they liked it or not. But they, I think it served them well. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm proud of my son for a lot of reasons, but, but I, I think the idea that he is a good writer and enjoys writing and a good storyteller, that, that, that means a lot to me. I, I, that's whether I had anything to do with it or not. I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I did. I just think, you know, I just think, uh, uh, it, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say in spite of me, he became that, but I think that's an important, uh, and I'm sure we're biased because that's what we do as we're writers. But yeah. I just think writing is so important in no matter sure. what field you go into. My wife. Well, if it's a, not, if you're not going into the sciences, uh, yes. yes, exactly. And and yes. I have no, I I could not have. There there are no doors I could have opened for him to to no. to, to do to do that. You you know, my mother was a chemistry teacher. I have zero. That did not get passed down to me. Oh, well, my dad was a chemical engineer. Exactly. My so, older yes. brother, I can remember my older brother and my dad getting in. The only time I can remember fights between my dad and my brother was <laughs> doing chemistry homework. It wow. drove my dad crazy that my brother didn't understand like chemical equations and, yeah. and, and what these symbols meant. And I yeah. could hear the frustration and the lack of patience in my dad. And yeah. I would go, and and that kept me from ever wanting to do anything with chemistry. I was like, I, I didn't, whatever it was, I wasn't going to let my dad see my chemistry homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a good thing for me going away to school. Uh, uh, you know, my mother never got a chance to see what my chemistry homework was, which was not impressive. Have there been moments uh, uh, when you have... Uh, really had to come down, put the hammer down on somebody, uh, on your own kids, or like, you know, d d giving you the, imp you know, the impression of like, you know, maybe a, what, what kind of father you would be. Oh, yeah. I, I, I've got a story and this story, it, it, you're going to have to indulge me. When this happened, I had a pretty good sense that I was a problem solver as a <laughs> as a uh, authority figure for children, even if uh -oh. they weren't my own children. But I was driving home late one night from a girlfriend's house. It's like two in the morning. But as I'm driving home, the song I hear the clave instrumental intro to Magic Bus. That, <laughs> okay. That you can't mistake the opening of Magic Bus. That percussive. Right those claves and I'm like oh my god I, for some reason I got the idea I had to share this with the world so I rolled down my windows turn up the radio and I actually drove like around the block instead of going directly home just this is after you dropped the girlfriend off yeah just to let the music you know fill the air and I was sure. feeling pretty good anyway so this happens then I turn back and I get into, I drive and I coast into our court where my parents live, park on the street like I always did because I was home from college for the summer and I just had to quietly slip into my parents, you know, past my parents' bedroom and not wake my dad up because he, in a few hours, he was going to have to head to work. And I passed my brother's bedroom and he's crashing for the summer, which was insane because it was a big deal because he hadn't lived at home for like five years. And he was about to go to, uh, he was about to start uh, 
seminary. So that's why he was crashing at the at the house for a while. Wow. So I'm hit I'm hitting the bed, but I'm still wide awake from, you know, being with my girlfriend and the music and just, you know, I'm still a little wired. Are you and, in college? Yeah, I'm home from college. It's between it. it's the summer. It's one of those beautiful summer nights oh, that's, man. you know, just this lazy, you hear the crickets and it was just a breezy summer night. And so I'm kind of regretting the fact that I've pushed the limits and I'm only going to get to sleep for about four hours before hauling mortar for my construction crew as my summer job. No, thank you. But <laughs> so I, I, and, and the windows are down in the house because my dad didn't believe in air conditioning unless it was <laughs> triple digits. The weather was triple digits. So I've got the windows open in my bedroom and I'm lying in bed. My head's racing but I hear the faint sounds of whispers and soft chuckles on the street. I'm like, what is that? That's not right. It's too late. And at first I shake it off thinking there's no possible way anybody's walking around at this hour. And then I swear I'm hearing these multiple voices gathering on the front lawn. It's unmistakably kids that are like trolling the neighborhood in the middle of the night. And like I used to do when I camped out. I was going to say, it's, it's you at a younger age. Go on. Yeah. It's, I mean, I did this. It's karma you know, coming back younger. to bite you in the ass. Go on. Yeah. So my brain starts backtracking and I go, wait a second. Did I roll my car windows down or did I leave them open? Uh-oh. After I had been cranking this music. <laughs> and getting suspicious and slightly paranoid, I slink over to the window and I scan the yard. And just as I feared, these kids are gathered around my mouth. <laughs> oh, oh no. And it, it was nothing special. And so I was like, so why are these kids like paying so much attention to it? <laughs> it's like someday I'll own a Chevy Malibu. Oh my God. And I'm like, wait a second. This something's not squared up here. Uh, uh, wait a second. What the hell are these brazen little pukes doing? They're pissing in my car. Get out of here. They were pissing in my or on my car. And I'm like, whoa. I inhale and I just like, oh, I want to kill these little suckers. But then in a wash of clarity, and this is where I, this foreshadows the fact I would be a good parent and be a problem solver because I can think like a kid. I'm like, there's no point in shouting at these piss ants because they'll just run off giggling and thinking, oh, wasn't that fun? So I go, no, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to play it cool. I'm going to slip out of the house. And just when they think they got away with it, I'm going to swoop them up. So I get in my street clothes with the urgency of a fireman. I draw like a bead on which direction these kids are heading. And I go downstairs quietly so I don't wake my parents up. And like a ninja, I'm following these kids. I'm going to rub their face in it and exact my pound of sweat from these little night crawlers equal to the bodily fluids they left in my car. That is my goal and my mission. And as I get closer and still undetected, I can hear these little shits laughing and it's like, oh, ho, 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 ho. I'm a few feet away now and I recognize one of the kids is 
of the McGrath line. Now, that's a family that, you know, I knew from, you know, they lived in the neighborhood, but I never was a friend of any of them. They, no, they weren't my age. They had kids older and kids younger. But I recognized this is the youngest one of them. I wrapped the other two guys in a bear hug coming up from behind them, and I jar them out of their reverie, and the McGrath kid looks back and with his wide-eyed fear, and that's when I know I got him because I go, hey, I know you're a McGrath. So don't even think about running away. Oh my grass. These other two kids straight to your house. So I had that leverage over them. And I tighten my grip on the other two losers and I go, and you two, you try and run and I'll make damn sure that little McGrath here gives up your names. So let's, why don't we go see what kind of damage you did? And that, you know, I purposely avoid throwing any F-bombs or frothing in anger. I, I keep very cool. Kids that age, if they get an adult, an adult all ruffled, and they'll laugh about that for years. And they'll right. go, oh, my God, did you see how he freaked out? So I didn't want to do any of that. So I go, we're going to go take a look at this car. And, of course, what do you think the first thing's out of their mouth? We didn't do nothing to your car, mister. So, and I go, really, really? Because I, I could have sworn from where I was watching the whole time that you guys were like taking a leak on my car or maybe even in my car. We were just messing around. Well, let's, uh, you won't mind taking a walk and seeing what messing around really means. I figure, you know, if I use a Southern, like, you know, in the heat of the night kind of sheriff voice, That these little New Jersey numb nuts will be even doubly freaked out. Like Rod Steiger. Exactly. You know, in a bad Rod Steiger, I'm like, you know, so, uh, like, uh, what's all this wet stuff on my car? Uh, I didn't see any sodas in your hand. You know, I'm not trying to imitate a Southerner right now. So what's all that going on way up in the window here? (laughs) Then the kids are like, I don't know. Well, then uh, why don't you lick it? And tell me what it tastes like. <laughs> and they're like, no way, no way. And I pop my head in the window and I go, sure enough, smells like piss. And they're get, starting to get restless like cattle sniffing a bobcat. And I go, you know, I know, I know it was you all that pissed in my car. And I'm having a real hard time trying to figure out why. And, of course, the three of them have no words. They're, like, drilling holes in the pavement, hoping that they'll escape through some kind of spontaneously combustible tunnel. <laughs> and I go, but, you know, maybe it'll come to you if, uh, you know, the reason y'all urinated like farm animals when, when, when you're cleaning up this mess. Inside now. Because urine can really mess up a car. And they're like, I'm not cleaning anything. I didn't do anything. You know, they're protesting. And I go, mm, I don't think this give and take's going to work. You know, my brother's studying to be a minister. So maybe you all feel a whole lot better confessing to him. <laughs> and amid their protests, we head to the house. I'm not going. I'm not going. And I go, y'all can get in my house or we can go straight to the McGrath's house. Your call. (laughs) All I can say is, don't wake up my parents or I'll kill you.
So we climbed the stairs to my brother's room. Now, if I were in their shoes, I'd be freaking out. <laughs> sure. And therein lies the method to my madness. Because my brother and I have spent a lifetime watching the same movies, the same television shows, admiring the same wisecracking characters. And we've learned from my dad the art of telling crazy tales and pushing the improbable strains of logic into the fuzzy realm of believability. <clears throat> and not just that. We've learned that the secret is when you want to freak somebody out, you mix just the right balance of dread and detail. And so that's where I'm going. And if these kids had any thought when they slipped out of their tents that this was their uh, fate, they would have stayed under their <laughs> sleep. <laughs> no shit. Because I quietly shepherd the kids into the reverend in training's room and we wake him up from his slumber. And to say my brother was a little taken aback when he wakes up and he sees these three kids in his bed, I mean, at the foot of his bed with, with me there, would be the understatement of a lifetime. And so he's sort of adjusting to this absurdity as I fill him in on the situation. And now they tell me they don't want to clean it up. So what do you think I should do? Because I'm thinking if they don't want to make this right, they're of absolutely no use to me. And my brother goes, none. He knows. He's chipping right in now. He's going along with the story. <laughs> so I continue my search for justice. I say, so I don't know. I could call their parents, but they'd probably scoop them up and deny that their precious little kids did anything. You know, they're going to say they're like angels. And my brother goes, or you could call their parents and tell them to bring buckets and brushes if you ever want to see your kids again. <laughs> and now the kids are starting to champ at the bit and uh so i go i don't know i don't trust parents around here to do what's right i say we put an end to their miserable lives right now and stuff them in the attic <laughs> with the others and i throw that little bit <laughs> at the end just to really get him to believe that my brother and I are complete whack jobs. And this is where my brother got brilliant. He wrinkled his brow and says, I don't think we have enough suitcases left. <laughs> now we have their full attention. And the kids' eyes are starting to burst with tears and panic and like cattle. And then one starts to talk and I shoot a finger in front of his face with extreme menace and say, Let's bury him under the garage, Chicago style. And the kids, they're probably too young to know about the whole John Wayne Gacy connection, but they right. know enough about Chicago to know that, you know, the mob's reputation for getting rid of undesirables. Sure. And I go, so at this hour, man, nobody will ever know the difference. And then one of the kids starts pleading, I want to go home. And the other Pecker Woods have the same problem and the same suggestion, and they're really starting to freak out. And my brother doesn't miss, miss a beat, and he goes, after you clean up your mess, we'll see. I'd just soon get you out of the house anyway. And I go, well, only if they make themselves useful. We're going to head down to the garage one way or the other. I just hope we don't have to keep them there for the long run. And so, you know, I see that idea that if they don't clean this car up, 
they're going to end up in the garage under the slab for the rest of their sorry lives. So if we clean up the car, you won't tell on us, right? You know, they're starting to, they're starting to come around to my way of thinking. And this is where I'm like, hey, I'm a problem solver. So I go, you guys are in no position to negotiate. Somebody's cleaning the car, and it won't be me. And somebody's driving you all home, and that ain't going to be me either. So let's get working while I call your parents and I shove the supplies in their midsection and get them. I pull the car up onto the driveway, make it a little easier for them. Plus the hose can reach the car there and they right. start cleaning up the car. I call their parents and I'm like, you know, you're a parent. You don't want that call in the middle of the night. No. You, when that phone rings at like 2.30 in the morning, you know it can't be good news. <laughs> And so I get Mr. McGrath on the line first, and I'm like, uh, I'm too tired and disgusted to pull any punches. And I just calmly relate how I witnessed their youngest son and some buddies peeing in my car. And I just want the names of the other kids so I can tell their parents. You know, they're like, eh, they don't really have an answer right off the bat. And I, so I, I sort of tell them that the, uh, you know, I tell them the address where they can pick their child up, and they want a little more details. So I tell them exactly what I saw and exactly why I'm having their kids clean up my car. And so by this time, I get on the line with the other two parents, and I give them that whole speech, and the dads can't be any more supportive. They come to the house. And they're just so glad that their kids are working their tail off in the, wow. in the wake of this inexcusable behavior. And each father is apologizing profusely and thanking me over and over again for not getting the police involved. Which, again, I'm just a problem solver by nature. Everybody, It's a win-win for everybody, right? Right. So then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking... Here, my mom and dad are fast asleep in the <laughs> bedroom and have no idea this entire circus has taken place. And I'm pretty proud of that, too. Sure. So a good 10 minutes after this initial, like, you know, the dad's getting there and, all, you know, watching their kids work. One dad pulls me aside and he's almost giddy. And I don't know whether it's shock or sleep deprivation, but he's been acting like a little too happy the whole time, almost upbeat, as these three blind mice are washing the car. And it's not even dawn, and this proud pop has already found, like, some kind of silver lining. I'm like, what's going on here? Well, that's when the guy leans in like he has something of value to share. And he says, I got to confess, I'm a little relieved. I'm like, what? And he goes, over the phone? I thought you said you caught my son and his friends kissing in your car. <laughs> so it just goes to show you there's always a silver lining. Silver lining. You know, uh, first of all, so you're like, I don't know what, 19, 20? Yeah, no, I'm probably about twenty. Yeah, I'm probably twenty. It was so that's way that's way that you're way beyond your years. I mean that that that's that's an impressive. That is something another father would have done. 
that's why I said it just foreshadowed the idea that I was going to be a pretty good parent because I could yeah. think yeah. on my feet. Yeah. Yeah. I can see you pitching that in, uh, in bars across Chicago uh, uh, in your 20s to women uh, trying to. <laughs> trying to impress them with uh, what a good dad you would be. The other thing is, <laughs> as, you're, as you're telling me this story, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, sure. Well, and by the way, today that McGrath kid is governor of the state of Illinois. Probably. <laughs> where, where are they now? I guess not Illinois. What am I thinking? New Jersey. Well, yeah, you know, New Jersey. Who knows? They could be they could be buried in the swamp there somewhere. I, I think I, uh, they're all very solid citizens because I'm they sure they are. Their, I'm they sure learned they learned their lesson. I'm sure they learned their lesson that night. And 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 uh, and by the way, the end of the story is the next semester they were all on the honor roll. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have. But the internet lasts forever, and our stories never end. Thanks for stopping by the Stories Unlimited podcast. That's Stories UNLTD. We'd appreciate you following us on Spotify as well as Apple Podcast. And you can email us at storiesunltd at gmail.com.